Welcome to New Covenant, where we are a Bible-believing church. Each service we begin with the word cloud as a reminder that the reason that we expect that the doors will be open is because we have something to say. The Bible is not closed. It is not, uh, it is not done away. We don't cut out the Old Testament. We believe the Bible is the word of God. It's not that it just contains the word of God. It is God's word from Genesis through Revelation. And that is why the gospel come message comes forth out of it. And it changes us into a multi-generational, caring, worship-cherishing um, uh, group of people. And I pray that God will increase our numbers. As we gather in church today, uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ is pictured in those arrows. Uh, those of you may have seen it before, uh, but uh, the song says that he came from heaven to earth to show the way. Now, I just want to focus that during this Advent season. How did Jesus come from heaven to earth? And it was at Christmas. He came from heaven to earth, from the earth to the cross, my debt to pay, from the cross to the grave. Uh, that's not a rainbow, it's a grave. From the grave to the sky, and that's why the encouragement, Lord, I lift your name on high. And the encouragement on the last arrow is that he's coming again. So during the Advent season, we remember the first coming, but we also, as the arrows say, we remember and focus on the second coming when he comes for us to be with him for eternity. How beautiful it is to recognize the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, let us reverently attend to the public reading of God's inerrant, infallible word. I'm going to be looking at the, the book of Daniel, the prophetic book, chapter 9, Daniel chapter 9, and we're going to be looking at a portion of scripture beginning at verse 20. Daniel chapter 9, beginning at verse 20. I've touched on it a, a moment ago, but this is a prophetic utterance. This is written by Daniel while he is in, in captivity. Uh, while I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people, Israel, and presenting my plea before the Lord my God and for the holy hill of my God. That's all verse 20. While I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, this angel Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the first, came to me in swift flight at the time of the evening sacrifice. He made me understand, speaking with me and saying, O oh Daniel, I have come out to give you insight and understanding. At the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out. And I have come to tell it to you, for you are greatly loved. Therefore, Daniel, consider the word and understand the vision. Verse 24 to the end of the chapter is this vision. Seventy weeks are decreed upon your people and upon your holy city to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin, and to atone for iniquity and to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and prophet, and to anoint a most holy place. Verse 25, Know therefore and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and to build Jerusalem, to the coming of an anointed one, a prince, there shall be seven weeks, then for 62, and then for 62 weeks, it shall be built again with squares and moat, and in a troubled time. And after 62 weeks, an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing 
and the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Its end shall come with a flood, and to the end there shall be war. Desolations are decreed. And he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week. And for a half of the week he shall put an end to the sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abomination shall come one who makes desolate until the decree end is poured out on the desolator. This is God's word. Please keep your Bibles open to Daniel chapter 9 as we'll be looking at the whole text. And for those that are following along with the fourth point, there is a sheet in the back for you to be able to, uh, to see what else is going on. Uh, I want to begin this sermon today with an encouragement to see the advent through Daniel's eyes. As we mentioned last week, Daniel is an interesting character. Daniel, Daniel is a, a young, was a young man who experienced some major devastation. I don't really know how it all comes to pass, but I think of how my dad endured Nazi occupation and as a teenage boy had to leave everything home behind and he ended up getting on a ship to come to America, uh, passing by the Statue of Liberty, just to find freedom. That was not the same for Daniel. When Daniel was a teenage boy, yes, he was taken from his home, but he didn't get to go to a land of freedom, a land of opportunity. He went to the land of Babylon. And the whole intent was to indoctrinate him into becoming a global citizen. Because the Babylonian Empire was a global dominion. Nebuchadnezzar, being the head of gold, as we looked at in previous visions, he was great. Uh, he was amazing. And he had accumulated wealth and he had accumulated power. And there wasn't many, there's not many that could ever be compared to the great kingdom of Babylon. As Daniel was taken away, they were trying to cut the strings of his past. They were trying to make sure that he didn't remember God or the God of his forefathers. They changed his name. They changed his diet. They, they changed his appearance. They tried to make him conform, just like the world. Makes me think of Romans chapter 12. Be not conformed, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Daniel's one of those characters that was being a transformed person. He remembered God all throughout his years. And now in this chapter 9, we find Daniel no longer a teenager. He is in his mid-80s. For a few of you that know what that feels like, most of your life has already been in the rearview mirror. What would make you want to be a key player in any story when you're 85? I'm not putting it down. I'm not there yet. I just got to visit with my mom, and she's 90. And I was watching what joy she had in trying to get some of the kids together just for a Christmas party. But Daniel in his mid-80s or possibly his upper 80s, we don't know exact, exact age, but he has lived quite a few years. And it's beautiful to realize that he is privileged to get one of those angelic visits. There weren't many. As I've mentioned before, Gabriel was sent from the throne room in the area of heaven and was sent by God himself to little Daniel, little old Daniel in Babylon. It's pretty amazing to get that kind of attention. Daniel's angelic messenger came with a calendar. Last week I was talking about this. 
I talked about how Daniel learned that, the, that there was going to be a rock made without hands that was going to be coming from out of this world into this world. And when this rock was going to come, it was going to bring down the kingdoms of this world and it was going to replace it with the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. I almost want to break out into Handel's Messiah. And he shall reign forever and ever. You know, you get the idea back in chapter 4, when Daniel was interpreting the dream, he said all the kingdoms of this world, all the great kingdoms, including Babylon, will be like the chaff that the wind blows away. The only kingdom that will last was the one that the rock brought out. Today, instead of focusing on the rock, we focus on the calendar. On the calendar. And it's interesting that Daniel gets this, in, this calendar message. It's coming from the angel Gabriel. And in this, we're going to find three particular things. This calendar is a response to something significant. This calendar is a, um, I would say, it is a guide for something magnificent. And also this calendar, not this particular one, but the calendar that gave, Gabriel gave to Daniel is evidence of something transition, I call it transcendent. Let me repeat that for you. This, this message from the angel Gabriel to Daniel tells us about a response to something significant. There was something going on that triggered the attention of heaven to do something. And I want you to know, it was prayer. The prayer of a believer. Think about that. There was something significant that caused a response. Now, secondly, we're going to look at this, this calendar uh, was a guide for something magnificent. You see, it wasn't just a response. There was instruction in it. There was some clarity that was brought in it. And we're going to look at it. What was he trying to show Daniel? I call it a salvific understanding. He was going to show him salvation, how this is going to work out. Because Daniel is still standing in Babylon as an old man, and he is trying to see what's going on. We have the privilege of hindsight. He only had the privilege of experience. The third thing that you're going to find, and this is where application should come to everybody in this room today, we have evidence of something transcendent. When you listen to this story and you start to unpack what's in there, I, I don't know how any of you could walk away today. Uh, my goodness, we're going to all be excited about the uh, baptism as well. But how can you walk away and say, oh, well, let's go shopping. You see, when you see the transcendence, there is a, a, match, uh, uh, there is a matchless being. Uh, there's unmatched. There is nobody in this entire universe or in existence that can, can be compared to a God who can give a calendar like this. Wow. Almost could stop there. Just let it sink in. As we begin, though, I want you to, to focus that this calendar was given as a response to fervent praying. If you take your Bibles there and look in verse 20, he says, While I was speaking and praying, confessing my sins and the sins of my people, and presenting my plea before the Lord my God, and for the holy hill of my God, while I was speaking in prayer, then I got this response. Gabriel came, and he came with the calendar. 
Gabriel came as a response to fervent prayer. I, I want you to just think through this. It is amazing that prayer even matters because as we've been teaching on prayer, we've been encouraging to prayer. A lot of us still wonder if prayer matters. Well, the angel Gabriel was sent because of fervent prayer. I want you to, to, to see it through Daniel, Daniel's prayer situation. I want to, then we're going to look at Daniel's passions in this prayer. Uh, and as you see these things, then you're going to see the actual experience of what happened when he got this response. So Daniel's prayer situation. Daniel is a seasoned veteran in prayer. Now, I want you to know he's been praying for a long time. You know, the, the, the phrase is that uh, there's no atheists in foxholes, you know, and there's also no, uh, no child that doesn't believe in God when they have a math test. Okay. There's a tendency for us to call upon God for help. Well, Daniel's been calling upon God because he's seen some of the most tragic things. He's seen that the, the God who made everything in the space of six days and all very good, the God who had a, a beautiful house that had been erected by Solomon, Solomon's temple was there on the mount in Jerusalem, and and. Little Joseph, as a teenage boy, was, was taken probably in shackles and had to leave the city of Seven Hills and head towards the east to Babylon. And as he left, the glory of Israel, the glory of Judah, seemed to fade. As it was as if God couldn't even take care of his own house. Daniel's been praying He's been asking God for this for quite a few times. In fact, if I took you to, to uh, Daniel chapter 6, if you find that verse in Daniel chapter 6, do you remember why Daniel was thrown into the lion's den a couple of chapters ago, three chapters ago? Was it because he was mean? Did he have a protest that got canceled on Twitter? No, what was he doing that was so egregious? He was praying. Now... This kind of prayer was a, a little bit unique because the people, if you look at the text, and I can show you there, they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king. Okay, because the next verse tells us what did he do? Because he's, he doesn't, uh, he makes his petitions three times a day. How did the people in Babylon know that he was praying three times a day? For those of you that have studied the whole book of Daniel, and I encourage you to read all the 11 chapters, it's because he had a practice of opening up the windows that faced towards the east. He, he would naturally be praying towards the, the city of Jerusalem. And, and I can imagine he had a, his knees all worn out because I think he really was petitioning that God, that he would do something to fix what had been broken. Daniel is a seasoned veteran. Daniel has overcome the, jittery, uh, the jitters of the hierarchy. He has been in Babylon, and he has seen everybody that you could see. I mean, he has been in the throne room. He has talked with, uh, with Nebuchadnezzar personally. He's even scolded him a little bit. And he's also been in the presence of Arioch, who is the, the captain of the king's host. I mean, there isn't any place that Daniel isn't uncomfortable. But we still find Daniel on his knees praying. Daniel is overcome by chapter 8 events. If you look at the end of chapter 8, I can turn the page back and you'll see that in, in, in the last verse of the, the eighth chapter, uh, it says, and Daniel was overcome and he lay sick for some days. 
Okay, he had just been getting some of this information and perspective from God. And it was a little hard to handle. It's a little heavy for most people. But Daniel is diligent. He continues to pray. And I could assume at least three times a day. But in this particular instance in chapter 9, it's not just that he prays continually, but he actually has a prayer vigil. If you'll go back with me at the beginning of chapter 9, I want to read the verses for you. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, a descent of the Medes, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books of the number of years that according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. Then I turned my face to the Lord, to the Lord God, Seeking him by prayer and by pleas for mercy, with fasting, with sackcloth, and even with ashes. I want you to be able to see that the response of, of, of the calendar being sent by Gabriel directly from heaven was because Daniel was fervent in prayer. He's changed his diet. He's doing without some food. He's changed his clothing and his appearance. He's got the ashes over him, and he has got the sackcloth. He is not pretending that everything is the same old, same old. He is really seeking an audience with Jesus. I find it interesting that in this prayer, it is triggered by Bible reading. And I don't know if it's true for you, but it should be. Daniel is accessing some of the scrolls that have been written. He was a contemporary with Jeremiah. Jeremiah is known as the weeping prophet. He writes the lament that, that is, that is the, basically known as lamentations. Uh, Jeremiah was one of the, I call him the Jedi, one of the major prophets. And uh, Jeremiah, Jeremiah sat from his position and he saw the glory of the kingdom being taken even as Daniel was carted away. But Daniel's prayer is informed by reading Jeremiah's words. He's opening up the scrolls and he's studying them and he's pondering them, which is what we ought to do in daily devotions. We ought to be students of the word, rightly handling the word of truth, 2 Timothy 2.15. Daniel is also aware as he's reading scripture and he's seeing who God is and his character, he's recognizing that mankind doesn't measure up. Did you hear what he was saying there in verse 20? Chapter 9, verse 20, as he summarizes what he's been praying for. While I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sins of my people in Israel. He is aware of his culture. He's a man like Mordecai. He's understanding the times. And he's looking around and he's saying, wow, this is not good. He's even familiar with some of Ezekiel's writings in chapter 1 and chapter 2 that the exile uh, that had come upon God's people in Judah, that it was supposed to bring people to their knees to cry out to God. But you know what was going on in Jerusalem? They were living in the matrix. They didn't have any military to fight back. They all just submitted and they fell in line with what was going on. Now, not everybody, but in general. And the way that Daniel ends up confessing it, he says, God, my people back in Jerusalem, my relatives, my friends that didn't come, they're living just like the Chaldeans. They're living just like the world. They're doing what's right in their own eyes. And so as he's praying to God, he is, verse 20, he is confessing his sin and the sins of the people. And he presents a plea before the Lord God, before Yahweh. 
And it's interesting at the end of verse 20. Do you notice what else he adds? He doesn't just pray for the people. But he prays for what? Can you see it there? He prays before the Lord my God for the holy hill. Do any of you have a clue what this means? Why would Daniel pray for a hill? Now, those of you that know the song, On a hill far away stood an old... Oh, there wasn't one there yet. Daniel is caught up with knowledge about Jerusalem. It's the city of peace. That's what Jerusalem Shalom is all about. And he is petitioning the Lord earnestly, fervently. And as he comes to the Lord, he says, Lord, we're sinners. But he says, Lord, remember your city. Remember your holy hill. Because what was on that hill was formerly Solomon's temple. It was the place where God had filled the room. And the presence of God was known to the people. This was God's place. Now, as I go a little further, Daniel, who has been praying three times a day, now he's praying fervently, almost like an extended prayer vigil. He's, in, he's fasting and he's petitioning the Lord. Well, you can see his passions in this. Daniel cares about God's house. Daniel cares about God's name. And Daniel cares about God's people having a place in this world. And when you read through verses 3 through uh, 19, you're going to understand over and over how he prayed the Acts prayer, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplications. He is so earnest. It's a wonderful example for for you all to follow. Daniel was convinced of one thing, though, that I don't want you to miss. He is praying that God would be faithful to his word. This is a secret that I hope you, you, you know. Daniel is praying not for something just that he wants. He's praying that God would do what God said he would do. This is a pattern of fervent prayer. And when I was reading through this and studying this, I couldn't help but think of James in the New Testament, chapter 5, verse 17, when James was telling us that the effectual fervent prayer of what kind of a person? A righteous person avails much. But then he gives an illustration there. Elijah. Elijah was a man just like you and me. He, was, he had passions. He, had, he cared about a lot of stuff. But Elijah prayed a certain kind of prayer, and he prayed that God would hold back the rain. Obviously, the farmers didn't like Elijah. But why was he praying like this? And now, when you get the secret, Elijah was re remembering the word of God in his day. Elijah had the words from Moses. He had the book of Numbers and the book of Leviticus and the book of Deuteronomy. And in Leviticus, it says, when people are idolaters, when they are not worshiping the true God, the judgment, the curse that comes upon people is that God would shut up the windows of heaven and not pour out a blessing. And this little guy, the Tishbite named Elijah, is out there in the land of Gilead on the other side of the Jordan River. I mean, you'd have a hard time finding his place. This little nobody is praying fervently. God, keep your word. Hold back the rain. He prayed that it wouldn't rain, and it didn't rain for three years and six months. Let me tell you, <laughs> when you latch on, 
I picture it like one of those dogs that, you know, gets a steak, the teeth go in, they're never going to let it go. Elijah got into that bite of God's word and he said, God, you're holy. Don't let these people have all this idolatry. Be true to your word. And then I take you back to Daniel. Daniel has lived in this, in this secular kingdom for decades. And there he is. He clamps down on the word of God. And he says, God, restore your holy hill. Don't leave this world. Don't depart from this world. You have a temple there that was a beautiful place. It's where we wanted to go and worship and meet with you. And it's all been brought down. It's, the Babylonians took it stone by stone down. And Daniel locks on. God, restore it. God, remember the holy hill. Three times a day, day after day. And now in his 80s, he's saying, Lord probably with a little older voice. Do what you said you were going to do. That's the fervent prayer. And that's why this calendar came as a response by Gabriel himself from the throne of God. Now, when you digest this, I want you to know that Daniel was amazed. This, this man, he calls him, he appears as a man. He, sweet, he, he flies down so you can tell that he's an angel. But he, the angel says, Gabriel, Gabriel comes in. He says, hey, your prayers, they were heard by God. From the, from the moment you started praying, God's heard them. And he sent me to tell you this. Wow, that's pretty cool. A, a direct answer. It was even quicker than sending it by Gmail. You know, you realize how this word is coming to Daniel. The answer goes beyond the request. God is going to answer him and do one better. Because what is Daniel praying for? He's praying for forgiveness of our sins because he says, I've sinned. I've, I've not had the faith that I should. My people, they're, they're acting like everybody else in this world. Shame on them. And then he says, remember your holy hill. Please restore. Don't abandon us. It's so cool that God does one up. And I'm not going to just, I'm going to do it like this for you, and then I'll explain it. Maybe we'll do it in another sermon, too. Daniel was reading the Bible about Jeremiah. Do you remember what he was reading? That Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, was given encouragement because God said, your exile is only going to be for how many years? Seventy years. Daniel is now nearing the end of the 70 years, and he is figuring it out. He says, God, you said only 70 years. Please. Please be faithful to your word. And I think he was probably remembering the story from Deuteronomy where God's people were going to go into the promised land and they stopped at Kadesh Barnea for a break and they sent 12 spies into the holy land, into the promised land. And guess what the message was? They came back and 10 of the people said, oh, this is, it's too hard. But two of them came back, Joshua and Caleb, and they said, let's go. But because of the majority, because the people as a, as a democracy wanted to have comfort instead of challenge. They all left and wandered through the wilderness in unbelief. And I believe that, that Daniel is saying, God, help us that we don't have to go through another 38 years of wandering. Don't add to the 70 years of more misery. Lord, we're sinners, but be faithful to your word. Wow, God is focused on keeping his word because not only is he going to say yes to the 70 years, but then he adds 70 weeks. And I want to clarify, 70 weeks of years. 
And so it's really cool that Gabriel comes and he says, yes, God's going to be faithful to the 70 years, but he's also going to give you a new timeline, a new calendar, and it's going to be 70 weeks of years or 490 years. And that's going to be explained in a moment. Okay, so that's really cool. And the last thing about this opening part is that Daniel is praying and the angel says to him, Daniel, God's heard your prayer, but he says this one little line, you are greatly loved. <laughs> Brothers and sisters, I hope that you will hear that message today. Even as we saw our sister standing here for baptism, you know that the love of God has been shed abroad. For God so loved people in this world like you and me that he gave his only begotten son. He set up the first advent. Do you see the love? That Daniel is now getting this message that God loved him. You're greatly loved. Now I'm going to have to move to the next point and let it sink in. The calendar reveals something about the advent. When you hear it is an, a guide for something magnificent. It has salvific understanding in it. So if you unpack this, this vision, you're going to end up getting an explanation for salvation. And it's going to make sense to you. So if you'll follow me with in verses uh, 22 and 23 of chapter 9. He says, he made me understand, speaking with me and saying. Now, this is really cool. The angel is having a conversation with Daniel. By the way, what does the word angel mean? The word angelos in the Greek means messenger. And it comes from the, the Hebrew has the same connection. But it basically is somebody who comes to deliver a message. Okay, it's, it's, a, it's a glorified post office, post office worker. With wings. Okay? And, and they bring these messages. Uh, it's, it's better, maybe FedEx or UPS, whichever thing you like. But these angels, they deliver on time. And so it's really interesting that while they're speaking, he says to him, Daniel, this is the message from heaven. I have now come out to give you insight and understanding. In this particular vision, you are supposed to get an understanding. And praise God, I pray that when you come to church and you come to meet with God as you're doing today, that you too will get understanding. This stuff will make sense. You'll go around like, I could have had a V8. No, I had one. I get it. I understand this salvation message. At the beginning of your pleas, verse 23, you pled for mercy, a word, a logos, a debar. It went out, and I have come to tell it to you. In other words, God had a message, a word for you, and I'm here to deliver it. You are so greatly loved. Therefore, consider the words of this vision. And this is where he starts to get into the salvific understanding. Now, Spurgeon was wise as the prince of preachers. When he dealt with this passage, he said, Brothers and sisters, this is too confusing for you, so let me just focus on this one particular passage. Smart guy. Let me read to you the salvific implications, and I just want to, to, to challenge you to study more, and we can answer it on your own, too. Seventy weeks are decree decreed about your people and your holy city. Now, remember, Daniel's talked about the 70 years, and now Gabriel says 70 weeks. Now, I believe because of the context that Daniel was talking about 70 years, that now the, Gabriel is looking at him and says, now there's going to be 70 weeks of years. Even though the text does not demand that, I do believe that that's understood. So 70 weeks of years are declared, are decreed for your people, and did you notice the next words? And for Jerusalem. Okay? 
God, God is going to be faithful to his word. He's going to include Jerusalem. It's going to be to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin, and to atone for iniquity. Three things. And then he goes on with three more things. He is going to bring in everlasting righteousness to seal both vision and profit and to anoint a most holy place. Wow. So in a sense, it looks like six things. Verse 25, know therefore and understand. In other words, hey, I'm here to make sure you get the salvific understanding. He says, understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem. Oh, that means that there is going to be a fulfillment of the 70 years. The 70 years is that you're in exile, but, but there's going to be a decree to go back and fix the city. It's really cool. So right there, he says, I'm, I'm going to do what you asked, but I'm going to one-up it. I'm even going to do more. He says, from the, from the moment that that word goes forth for the decree, which should be a similar time frame of when the 70 years were wrapped up. He said, from the time this, this decree goes out to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming of the anointed one, a prince, there shall be seven weeks. And then for 62 weeks, it shall be built again. Now, it's kind of interesting that he says seven weeks and then there's going to be 42 more weeks, which is a total of 49. Or it's, it's seven and 42 is 49. Um, then, or excuse me, 62 plus the one is, uh, is uh, you end up, you get 69 weeks. I was going to put a whiteboard up here and try to do it like a math lesson. Most people would see it better with the numbers. And so when you realize that, that these years are all included in the calendar, Gabriel comes and says, I want you to understand God's salvific plan, and it's going to be those 69 weeks are going to be declared for you and for, the, for Jerusalem. In other words, God's got a plan, and it includes the people of God, and it includes Jerusalem. It's really cool when you see how it all goes. Know therefore, verse 25, that when it goes out, there shall be all these weeks, and 62 weeks it shall be built again with squares and with a moat, but it'll be in troubled time. Now, for those of you that know the rest of the story, uh, was it easy to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem? No. If, if any of you were hanging around Nehemiah, Nehemiah had to learn how to hold a trowel in one hand and a sword in the other. Because people were not happy with this kind of uh, healing of Jerusalem. Verse 26. After these weeks, the anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Its end shall come with a flood. And to the end there shall be war. Desolations are decreed. Now, I want you to get this, this, this let it sink in. Daniel is now given this, this calendar that says there's going to be 490 years. But after 483 years, Jerusalem is already going to now be rebuilt. And it's going to be difficult. They're going to make sure that they get the moat or the walls. They're going to get it rebuilt the way it should be. But at the end of these 69, at the end of these 69 weeks, there's going to be something significant happen. And I like to put it simply like this. It talks in the, in the Hebrew, the word Mashiach. Mashiach, okay, which is where we get the word Messiah. What does Messiah mean? The anointed one, okay? So I want you to think for a moment and say, I really do believe that what he's talking about here is that the anointing of that one is going to happen in 69 weeks of years. So in 483 years from the time of the decree to go back and, fit and start rebuilding Jerusalem, there's going to be the one that comes. 
the one that comes that he's just talked about before was the rock made without hands. Now this one is going to show up in Jerusalem and he's going to be anointed. Now, for those of you that are following along with me, let me take you to Matthew chapter 3. If you can bring that verse up, you're going to see that what happened roughly 480-some years later after the decree went out, that there was Jesus who comes from Galilee to the Jordan River, and he meets this guy named John, who how do we know John is named John instead of Zechariah? Because Gabriel had told him, name him John. This same John that Gabriel said, make sure you name him John, who was the son of a priest, was ordained to be a priest at the age of 30, because that's the way it was done to fulfill all righteousness. And so six months later, they come to the Jordan River, and Jesus shows up with John. And what does John do to Jesus? Well, most of you are going to say, well, he baptized him. How fitting on a baptism Sunday. Did Jesus need baptism for the remission of sins? Of course not. Jesus was the Lamb of God without blemish. Jesus was the one who, who left his throne on high, his kingly crown to come to this earth, and he was without spot or wrinkle. And Jesus is, going, is there standing with John, and he says, do this to fulfill all righteousness. In other words, do this to fulfill the word of God. I've been arguing that this fulfills Leviticus, that Jesus was being ordained to be a high priest because he was going to offer up the great sacrifice. Once for all, he was going to offer up himself, the Lamb of God to be slain. But looking at Daniel, this is also the anointing, the anointing of the Messiah. Because this is where, if you go to the next verse, it says that God the Father looks at him and he says, this is my beloved son in whom I well pleased. He's been anointed. The dove comes down and lands on him. And it's really picturesque of how this is the beginning of the ministry of Christ. Now, I just, I'm fascinated with all, all of the salvific plan. Now, there is a point here, <clears throat> and some people really struggle with the last week of Daniel's 70th week. And I don't want to dive into it too deep, but I, I do like the idea here. It says that in the middle of that week, there's going to be the cutting off. Now, for those of you that know what the word cutting off is, it's a Hebrew word that actually is it's punitive. It's not just, um, it's not just a, uh, like, like you're cutting a piece of paper. No, it actually is there's going to be a judgment that's rendered. And when you're cut off, if, if you go to Romans chapter 9, verse 3, you're going to end up seeing how Paul uses this in the New Testament. And, uh, and when, when he says, for I wish that I myself were cursed, or, or he would say, or cut off from Christ. Now, this whole idea of being cutting off from Christ is awful. Nobody wants to be cut off from Christ. I mean, that's why you don't tell even your worst enemies, go to hell. Do you understand what I mean? To be cut off from God's grace in Christ Jesus, it's the most miserable existence. That's why hell is hell. The absence of God's favor. You get what you deserve. The wages of your sin is death. But when I look here, the idea of cutting off, it's going to happen in the middle of that next week. Now, some have said, and this is an interesting way of looking at it, is that when the Messiah is anointed, when the Mashiach is anointed, how many years of ministry did he have? Three. And it appears that if you go back into the, the dates, it's very possible that in the middle of three and a half years, in other words, three Passovers go by, then Jesus is now lifted up on the cross, on that holy hill. And he is cut off. 
Eli, Eli, I'm a Sabachthani. I mean, the way that Jesus said it, probably without getting much breath as he barely can breathe on Calvary's cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he breathed his last. And the wrath of the Father is fully poured out on the Son of God. He was cut off from the land of the living. In fact, if I take you to Isaiah 53, that's exactly what Isaiah told us would happen. In Isaiah 53, the words come up. Um, if you have that there, Isaiah 53, he ends up arguing that, that we were bruised for, uh, he was bruised for our iniquity. The chastisement of our peace was laid upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. But there in the other verse, he says he was oppressed and he was afflicted. He didn't open his mouth like a lamb is led to the slaughter, like a sheep that is before his shears is dumb. And if you go to the next verse, I think you'll find it here. Uh, by, oppress by oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living? Do you see? I really do believe that this is the understanding that Daniel was starting to get, the salvific explanation that Jesus was going to come to Jerusalem and that it wasn't just that Daniel was praying for the restoration of Jerusalem, but God's plan was to use Jerusalem to restore us. Jesus had to die. He was put up on Golgotha's hill. It was the same exact mountain that, that Abraham had taken uh, little, little Isaac up. And if you remember in Genesis 22, the gospel presentation was so clear. The father was going to give his son. And as the knife was going to come down, he stopped him and he said, I will provide Jehovah Jireh. I will provide. Immediately there was a ram caught in a thicket. But according to Daniel, 483 plus three and a half. God provided, and he was cut off. He was bruised for, for our iniquity. The chastisement for our peace, to get us peace, was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. I told you that, that the, the, the calendar came as a response to fervent prayer. The calendar was a guide to salvific explanation, but this also was a evidence of a great God. I don't even think I have to explain anything more to you, do I? God was telling Daniel, Daniel, you may not live to see this, but I got it. Daniel, I do keep my word. I'm going to send these people back, even though they're stiff-necked, even though they still have idolatry, even though they disappoint over and over, even though they don't volunteer and even step up to help. I will take care of it. And there were three waves of the people of God coming back to Jerusalem. Well, you've got Zerubbabel, and you've got Ezra, and you've got Nehemiah. Finally, the 70 years were finished when Ezra, from 586, I think, down to, what was it, uh, 516. The 70 years were complete, and Ezra is there dedicating a temple for God to dwell in. Was it as glorious as Solomon? No, they didn't have all the gold, they didn't have the big size, they didn't have all the luxuries, but they had a place, a house for the Lord. Seventy years were completed, and now these 70 weeks of years are about to be completed. Here we stand in 2022 on the edge of, of our Christmas celebration. Our Christmas celebration is a reflection of the, when Christ did come, when he showed up. 
And whether that showing up was at John the Baptist where he was baptized, or whether that showing up was when he was at the, at the gates of Jerusalem on, on Palm Sunday, Spurgeon was right. I may not have the brains to figure that out, but I can tell you that savingly God remembered the holy hill, and he was going to set up his kingdom from that holy hill. And if you understand it, eye hasn't seen, ear hasn't heard, neither has entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those who love Jesus, the one who can understand the message of the cross. Jesus, the man who knew no sin, became sin for us and was hoisted up on that. The, the one who was, who was God the Son became the accursed thing. And just like the snake that had to be lifted up on the pole and people had to look in faith, brothers and sisters, you need to look to Christ. Daniel was looking forward. We now look back. Could you bring up the arrows again? We know that Jesus came from heaven to earth and that he went to the cruel cross and was cut off. He was in the grave for the three days, but he rose again. He ascended into heaven and he sits at the right hand of God the Father and the rest of it is he's going to come again and receive us to himself that, that, that where he is, we may be also. As we enter into this Advent season, I want you to marvel. It is so magnificent. Our God wins! Last thought before prayer. Was there any, was there any government plots? Was there any, was there any uh, cultural movements during those 483 years? Or did everybody just sit still and twiddle their thumbs and wait till it passed? If you study history, you're going to see exactly what God told Nebuchadnezzar, that there was a head of gold, Babylon, and they did their best to try to control everything until they couldn't. And then there was the Mede and Persian kingdom, and they did their best to control everything until they couldn't. And then there was this cool guy, and you can read about him in chapter 8. You know, he was like a one-horned goat, and he could gallivant around all the place, and he took down the Medes and the Persians real easy. I mean, it's amazing. And, and Alexander the Great was masterful at, at scaring people and conquering them, and they all yielded, and everybody learned Greek language. But one thing that Alexander the Great couldn't conquer was his own health. He died in, the, in his young 30s. And after him, the kingdom was split into four parts and it never regained any kind of its consistency. And so therefore, another kingdom came, the Roman Empire rises. And in the Roman Empire, they're known for their peace and they're known for their roads and their communications. It's amazing when you saw the Roman army coming. No, it's, it's scary. And yet, it's into that world that Jesus shows up. I want you to know the reason why I want you to marvel is that none of these earthly kingdoms, with all of their grandeur, grandeur, with all of their wealth, with all of their military might, with all of their technological advances, with all of their weird people in positions of authority. And let me tell you, Rome had a few of them. You gotta be crazy if you light people up like torches because they don't agree with you. With all of those earthly powers, Jesus shows up and he wins. By being cut off from the land of the living so that he would come back and raise us in newness of life which is pictured in baptism let us pray